Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voitsen, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners who come from around the world to listen to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today uh, joining me is Joan Kingsley. Joan is the co-author of a book called The Fear-Free Organization, Insights from Neuroscience to Transforming Your Business Culture. And she also has two other co-authors on this, Sue Patterson and Paul Brown, um, and they worked on this together. Good day to you, Joan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good day to you. Well, I appreciate having you on Inside Personal Growth, and I appreciate you spending a few minutes, and I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you, Joan. Joan is a psychotherapist and author of Fear Free Organization. Vital Insights from Neuroscience to Transformation, uh, to Transforming Your Business Culture. She has a private practice in London, um, psychotherapist for the National Hospital of Neurology and Neuroscience, and is on the psychotherapist registry for the School of Life. She practices as an executive coach and has a vast amount of experience working with businesses and supporting their staff. She is a member of the New York Academy of Sciences and a fellow of the Royal Sciences of Arts and a member of the Royal Academy of Medicine is registered with the UKCP. She spent over 25 years researching the links between brain science and psychological and psychological lives together with clinical and organizational psychologist and executive coach, Dr. Paul Brown, an oil and gas professional. Sue Patterson, Joan, decided to write The Fear-Free Organization to give people insight into the destructive force of fear and how fear affects our personal lives and permeates business organizations. Well, boy, is that true, Joan. Uh, Definitely, we we have fear-driven organizations, but they've been fear-driven for uh, literally hundreds of years. Um, And so my question for you is, you know, obviously there's a difference between a fear-driven organization, a characteristics and fear-driven organizations, characteristics of those organizations which aren't permeated by, by fear and have leaders which have overcome that. Tell our listeners the differences as far as you're concerned. Well, in a uh, fear-free organization uh, with a leader who, um, you know, values people, over what they produce, <laughs> and that's the key. You know, what what do you value? What what are your um, what motivates you as a human being? And if you're working in an organization where uh, greed and money are, you know, the key, then you're going to have a hard time finding um, an organization free from fear. So, um, in um, in a fear-free organization, the leader cares about people, the leader is empathic and encourages others to be the same, um, people thrive, uh, people are creative, people are self-starters, they think out of the box, uh, groupthink is not encouraged, uh, uh, co- diversity is part of the norm in the culture. You, you don't want to get into a situation where you've got everybody thinking in the same way or coming from the same background. 
it's very, very healthy to be in diverse cultures. So, Do you have and, some examples, Joan, of companies that you and your partners have gone in to consult that were just riddled with fear? Um, you don't I even can't have to name companies. Yeah, you don't have to I name can. the companies. <laughs> but, but obviously, um, what's going on at, at a real deep level with the leadership that really permeates an organization with fear? What, what do you think precipitates well, we that have, in the first place? We have leaders who are arrogant, who are absent, who uh, don't pay attention to what's going on. We have leaders who are only driven by data, um, not um, interested in the emotional well-being of the people who work for them. And um, we have leaders who uh, drive forward their own agenda, who don't listen, who uh, don't ask questions of the people who work for them, who think they know everything, who don't think they have anything new to learn, who are very defensive. So these are the kinds of things we encounter in uh, fearful organizations and, and from the leadership. And then when you get down into the organization where you have people who are running on fear, um, you know, they're watching their back all the time. And, you know, I, I talk about the uh, they move from thriving into the survival zone. So we talk about the zone. When people are in the zone, they're working freely and concentrating and focusing. When you're in the survival zone, there's only one thing you're concerned with, and that's surviving. Uh-huh. And that's when you trigger into somebody's fear system, that's what you're triggering into. Now, you and, speak about these eight basic emotions, and they're yeah. kind of essential in business. Can you speak with our listeners about, you know, you've got fear and anger and disgust and shame and sadness and all of these emotions. Uh, how do those play into this with inside these organizations? Well, the thing is that we are all born hardwired into our brains with eight basic universal emotions. Uh, two of the emotions are concerned with um, attachment, being close to people. Uh, so they're excitement and joy, that's grouped together, mm-hmm. and love and trust. So when where there is love, you, you have trust building up. Yeah. And those are the uh, positive emotions that... Uh, cause us to wonder, to play, to frolic, to grow, to develop, to uh, be creative. And then we have the um, survival and the emotions that are primarily concerned with day-to-day, minute-to-minute survival. And those emotions are fear, and fear is the most primitive of all the emotions, Um, So we have um, the reptilian brain. So we have the reptilian brain, the mammalian brain, and then the thinking brain. So fear, most of these emotions actually emerge from the reptilian brain. So the brain is a hierarchical structure, and evolution has built the brain with completely survival in mind. Yeah. So we have fear, we have anger, and, you know, we need to be angry to fight our foes and to protect people we love and care about. So, you know, it's very important to be angry. 
disgust. We need to recoil from poisonous people and plants and things, yeah? So that's a very powerful emotion. We need to feel shame in order to be civilized, to behave well. So shame is a very important emotion, particularly for parents who are raising young children. Um, it's it's important to teach people, children, you know, how to behave, and sometimes that does involve tapping into shame. And then we have sadness, and sadness allows us to grieve and mourn and move forward. And And, you know, that can be about getting a job promotion because not only are you moving forward, but you're also leaving something behind. Uh-huh. So um, sorrow, sadness is very powerful as well. And then we have a startle surprise, and surprise can fall on the happy surprise to the attachment emotions or a nasty surprise which takes us into the avoidance emotions. Now, so all of all of these emotions play out every day, every moment in our lives. And whether we're at home or at work, that's what we have. We have our emotions. Obviously, in those obviously we bring things to work from home and we think we bring stuff home we bring stuff from work to home as well. Yes. And yes. those are constantly in an interplay. But one of the things you talked about here was trust. And I find that in communications inside organizations, if there isn't a high level of trust and transparency, uh, this transparency issue and trust issue is a big deal because it erodes not only the confidence and and competence, I might say. Um, You can't get trust with that. Um, I don't have confidence in somebody Speak with us the the level of importance of trust in removing the fear, because there is a direct correlation between this having trust in someone and also then being actually having fear. Absolutely, because if you're in a dangerous situation, um, let's say, you know, you're in the military, you want a leader who you trust because you are going to need to follow that person anywhere. You're going to need to uh, uh, um, work together. I don't want to say obey because that's a horrible word, but in some circumstances you need, you do need, particularly in the military when you're in combat, you need to do what you're told. But you can only do that and commit yourself if you trust the person who is your leader. And when trust goes, everything goes. When you stop trusting somebody, the whole relationship begins to break down, whether it's a work relationship or a personal relationship. When you when you don't trust somebody, your guard goes up and you stop being honest and open, transparent. And that's incredibly damaging for everybody. I mean, I tell a story in the book. It's a very little story, but I think people can relate to it about someone who went to work, had a great idea, uh, met with his boss, shared the idea, and uh, his boss said, that's fantastic. I am really pleased to hear that. And then two days later, this person hears his boss on the phone presenting the idea as his own, or her own. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this person really was rather taken aback, thought, oh, I'm being silly. 
so then stops trusting himself and his judgments, and then finds that he's just not willing to share so much with his boss. And, you know, it's a very small story, but it's it's a perfect example of how trust can get broken down very quickly and how it can affect the business environment, the working relationships, the uh, creativity that happens, the, the sharing of ideas. So we need to build and maintain high levels of trust in business environments. Well, you have a couple of models in this book that I thought were interesting, this Sophie model. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you, you actually do a very good job of showing how work, the workplace affects this organizational performance and obviously yeah. how fear could. How, what are some of the things that our listeners out there who are in management right now listening to you need to do to assist in removing this fear, increasing the levels of confidence that people have, increasing the levels of communication um, that people would freely give up, and building higher levels of trust. What, what are some of the things they can attack right away? Well, it's interesting you bring up the Sophie model because that's a very powerful model of an organization. And it it, it involves uh, the, the person who brings us in, the leader who brings us in to do a Sophie exercise in an organization, agrees in some sense to give up control. So when we uh, go around and interview all the people in the organization, we do so anonymously. And that is very important because then people tell us the truth. People say to us, this is what's wrong, this isn't working. If if someone knows that, you know, you, the consultant, are going to go back and report to the leader, the boss, the manager about what's being said and, you know, attributing that to the person, people are not going to be honest. So then you, the leader is going to wind up hearing um, what he or she wants to hear rather than the truth. So the whole idea of gathering information in an anonymous way means um, that you get a real picture of what your organization is like, where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are. And you want to know this. It's like It's like a health check. It's like taking the pulse every week of the business. What's going on? Is there there something beginning to break down somewhere? Um, Is operations not quite, you know, working well? Or or the sales team, has somebody gotten ill and left? And is there a gap or people having to cover? So all of these bits of information uh, create a great picture of the organization, And you have to be willing to give up control of who uh, thinks what Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how they think. And and that's very hard for leaders to do. Uh, Yeah, especially especially when when the ego wants them to have control. Yes, yes. And you have to hear the mistakes you're making. And you uh-huh. have to acknowledge them. And we we did a, a model of an organization. We did a Sophie modeling of an entrepreneurial organization where the leader had, um, the entrepreneur had moved from focusing on the day-to-day work to doing PR. And what 
he didn't realize and what the modeling brought out was that everybody was looking where he was looking. And so, you know, things like how people were answering the phone was, was going out the window. People were not, uh, you know, making a good presentation of the company. They were all looking at what the leader was doing and trying to do the same thing. So, you know, it was kind of obvious but very not obvious. Well, I'm fascinated by the, you know, you spoke earlier about the reptilian brain and uh, the limbic brain and elements of the neuroscience of this, because look, we're hardwired, you know, we have these super memes within us and we're, we're hardwired. These are these beliefs um, to act in a certain way. And I think the psychology of this is important. The neurosciences of this is very important, not only just to the leaders, but to really everybody in the organization. Can you address how we can, as individuals listening today, do that rewiring from, as you were saying, that part of our brain that's that's possessing this fear to rewire and refire in a way that we aren't riddled with that fear? Well, you you need to be in a culture that um, is not uh, running on fear. It's very hard when you're working in an organization where all the boss cares about is how much money you've made. You know, it's like young lawyers who go into the law and are very excited they're going to save the world and do all this exciting stuff, except they've gone to work in, in a firm that is is all accounts of billable hours and how much time have you spent on the phone. And so that's a very disheartening, and it's... Um, you know, if you want to save the world, you're going to have to go work uh, in, you know, a less uh, profitable <laughs> environment. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, where bottom line is important, uh, you often find fear as well. I'm not saying it has to be that way. But sadly, that's often the way it is. And rewiring involves really getting to know yourself very well. Everything starts with you, everything. And you have to understand yourself and what makes you tick and how you respond to people and what kinds of people in your past have, you know, sort of been set down in your fear system. So if you've had a very, very mean teacher in first grade, Aspects of that teacher are going to be uh, laid down in your uh, amygdala, which is Uh the storehouse of fearful memory. And then when you encounter somebody years later who is reminiscent of that person, you're going to automatically go into some fear place in yourself, and you're not going to know why. So knowing as much as you can about what your triggers are is very, very important. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about, because there's so many things that fear affects. So, you know, when somebody's in an organization and they're riddled with this fear, as we're talking about, because the organization and the culture is that enmeshed in it, um, you know, this now manifests itself in all kinds of physical issues, you know, stress to the body. Um, The inability to think properly and clearly, Um, you know, heart palpitations, high blood pressure, diabetes, 
I mean, it goes on, the list goes on and on and on. So let's speak a minute about to these people that are listening, not only is having a fear driven organization, uh, reducing your performance from a standpoint of performance in the company, it's reducing every individual in the organization's ability to thrive and be healthy. I wouldn't be surprised if you've got studies that say, you know, that the healthcare costs go up astronomically in these fear-driven organizations. And you know what's very interesting? The biggest studies that have come out in the past couple of years have to do with the power of walking. Uh And if you go for a 25-minute walk every day, you are doing so much good for yourself. You are lifting your fear stress levels. You are making yourself physically stronger. You are becoming a more powerful person. And um, I read today um, in an English newspaper that um, there's a new study that's come out that walking 25 minutes a day adds seven years onto your life. Wow. That's yeah. good. So the first thing you can do is either if you're if you're a loner, you can go out and walk yourself, or you can put a group together at work. Uh-huh. And, you know, part of your lunchtime, and boy, you better take your lunchtime. Don't sit at your desk working through lunch like a lot of people do. It's not healthy. Yeah. Uh, get a group together and go out walking. And it doesn't have to be power walking. It doesn't have to be competitive. It's just walking. And you can also... Do it so that you put together, um, you mix ages, so you have diverse walking groups. So you, uh, you know, some of the older folk in the organization Uh uh, join the group or part of the group, um, so that you know it 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 creates relationships. It's collegial, you know, and I think definitely is, and it's an opportunity for people to not only get the exercise, but I think moving out of the building and getting yeah. fresh air, all of yeah. those factors, plus the the other thing, and I'm going to talk about it, is collaboration. You have a, yeah. a, a section in the book, uh, great leaders seem to have an intuitive and understanding of the significance of relationships. You speak about Winston Churchill in this part. Yeah. Um, it, 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 this collaborative element is so important to eliminating the whole fear-driven organization. Um, you know, speak with us a little bit to our listeners out there about the importance of cooperation and collaboration in a culture um, yeah. to help eliminate that and the emotional intelligence that it actually creates. Yes, and you think about Churchill led his country through the most awful of times, and he was an inspirational leader. And he wasn't that well-liked by a lot of people, you know, before the war and after the war, but during the war, he was, you know, somebody who took people and made them feel better about themselves and and to feel they wanted to, there was a greater good. And I think that's what collaboration is, that there's some greater good you're working for, whether it's an organizational greater good or a personal greater good. There's something bigger than yourself. And you feel that through uh, collaboration and working with people and cooperation. And yeah, it's definitely sorry. something that in these cultures of organizations that you find when there's collaboration and cooperation, you definitely have less stress in the organization. 
And, you know, you mentioned that stress is something that happens when we're disturbs our equilibrium or causes a change to happen. You say, obviously, the source is called a stressor. So this can be anything in our external world that's physical or yes. kind of the invisible. It's actually the mind that continues to, you know, that, that monkey mind that keeps playing the tape over and over and over again, right? Yes, speak yes. with our listeners about that monkey mind, you know, because the Buddhists have a great philosophy around that and the opportunity to actually clear the mind to reduce it of the stress. What, what techniques, what things would you tell our well, listeners? Well, the great, the great today? thing today is mindfulness, which comes right from the East. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the spiritual thinking and um, yoga and being mindful and doing breathing exercises. Right. And it sounds simple, but it takes a lot of uh, determination to do, to clear your mind, to stay focused on the present. And it's very, very powerful because what it does is it puts you in control of your environment, of your thoughts, of your feelings, of your body. And um, if you can put aside everything and just focus on your breath, you are in the moment, and you are in charge, and you are in control. And uh, that is very uh, stress-relieving. Yeah, most definitely. Now, you, you have a great chart in your book. that you It's an overview of working relationships between leaders and human re, uh, resources department. You start in the 60s, and then you go all the way out to today, right? Yes. Give the correlation or the, the change that you've seen between the 60s, which is, you know, that was a time when all kinds of businesses were starting. They've obviously yeah. started over time. But the differences that you've seen in the shift and change between relationships and leaders and, and HR. Well, I think that HR, and this is not my big area of expertise, I've got to say. Uh, my co-authors are much more knowledgeable about this than I am. Okay. But um, when I first went to work, because I'm older, um, there was a personnel department. And personnel departments you went to, they helped hire, you had a problem with your insurance, you, you know, your time off, whatever. Um, it was a kind of very benign department and um there was nothing that felt frightening about them hr today is serving the board it's serving the ceo it's serving the stakeholder yeah and that means that what they're the policies they're pursuing are more about the organization than about the people so the idea that this is human relations is completely inaccurate and and people really resent hr departments feel they're very they make problems they don't solve problems and, yes uh, so it's turned to be a little bit cold and um calculating because they're actually calculating for the stakeholders and the stockholders of the corporation yes, versus yes. really human relations should be about no. developing good relationship with the company and the people within the company, including HR. So that's the big significant difference you've seen is the way that's yeah. being represented. Yeah. Yes. Now Absolutely. for our listeners out there, uh, Joan, what would you want to leave them with? And 
where would you direct them to learn more information about your book? What is what it would be one of the main things that you'd sum up here uh, to let our listeners know, and, and where might you direct them to learn more about the book? Well, I think, uh, first of all, find your passion. Find, uh, identify what's important to you as a person, what your values are, and try and find a place in an organization that shares your values. And that's easier said than done, I know. And some people live in communities where there may not be an organization around that that serves that. But but try, and and do your research. But also there there are a lot of good books out there. Um, you know, there's Daniel Goleman, Emotional Intelligence. There's Dan Siegel who wrote a book called Mindsight. There's Joseph Ledoux who wrote The Emotional Brain. So there are a number of really good books that you can try and delve into. Some of them are more difficult. We've What we've tried to do with this book was make a lot of this information accessible to everybody because when you get, we've tried to, to distill it so that it's understandable. But, but remember, good relationships and trust and uh, honesty and openness are not neuroscience. They're just good living and try and live a good life. It's so true. You know, we've made this place a little more complicated than it needs to be. But your book really does a great job for CEOs or HR people or anybody in middle management who's really trying to look at the characteristics of what's driving fear in their company and actually finding solutions for that. There's great stories in here. Um, It's well laid out for my listeners. So I'm going to recommend to everybody who's listening who has thinks there's some fear in their organization, uh, pick up a copy of the book, The Fear-Free Organization, Vital Insights from Neuroscience to Transform Your Business Culture. And it really is about your culture. Um, Once you start to lose sight uh, and you're a CEO or somebody who founded a company of the culture, uh, sometimes even from what it was originally founded on, you need to go back to those roots and you need to look at them because a lot of the people in the company are crying out uh, for help. They're not getting it and they need it. And I just would say, pay attention, buy this book. Uh, Joan, it's been a pleasure having you on Thank Inside you. Personal Growth and giving us some of your wisdom and insight about uh, how to eliminate fear with inside organizations. Thanks for spending Thank the time with much. our listeners. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you for being on. I've enjoyed. Bye.